The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. This is what happens when you let your staff pick the Christmas sweaters and then you let social media vote. Just saying. Um, <laughs> so, hey, welcome to Once Upon a Time at each of our campuses. We're so excited to have all of you joining us. Let me just, um, so I, I feel like you're all going to look at me and you're just not going to be able to listen to anything I say. I, I'm a little worried about that. So, so here's the thing, right? Like at Christmas time, you know, somebody tell stories, and so that's my goal right now, right? Like, I'm gonna be like Grandpa, sitting down with my cool Christmas sweater, and I'm gonna tell you a story, and you're all, you're all gonna listen. All right? All right. <laughs> and if you can't take me seriously, just close your eyes. In fact, just close your eyes. <laughs> and I, with your eyes closed, <laughs> um, hey, I want you to do this. What did you dream life would be like when you were young and idealistic and you didn't know that most dreams don't come true? Probably at the very least, you dreamed that you could live, laugh, and love, right? You you dreamed of a life of significance, like my life could matter. Maybe you even dreamed that your life could have a little piece of paradise. And when you hear about people doing really cool paradise-like things, you think, hey, that should be me too. I should be experiencing that. And I kind of wonder, like, where did we get all of this from? Because the truth is, If you've lived even a few years of life, you've gotten to the point when you realize that most of those dreams don't come true and that once upon a time fairy tale that you thought you were going to live uh, really doesn't happen. And so where do we get this idea? If we've never experienced that fairy tale story, then why do we still believe that that's the way it should be? Meaning we've never really fully experienced that life of paradise and yet we think our life should have a piece of paradise. We, we've never really experienced the kind of love that we think life should be filled with, and yet we all believe that life should be filled with love, and we feel like life should have purpose, even though most of us have wrestled through so many days where we didn't feel like life had purpose. And so where do we get this from? And maybe it came from the, you know, the music we listened to or the, the books we've read. Maybe you've read um, some book that started with Once Upon a Time or you saw that in the movies. And, and so we start to believe that what we see and hear and read and listen to could actually come true. And, you know, Christmas time is one of those seasons, you know, uh, it's a romantic season. It's a time of hot chocolate and, you know, Christmas caroling and warm fires and you get snowed in and hopefully you have somebody to get snowed in with. And that just kind of, it fills your life with kind of the, the, the fun and the joy and the laughter and the romance that we imagine is what life should be. Now, little caveat, right? Like those of us that like, 
have lived through a few Christmases, like it also quietly, we don't want to tell anybody this, but like it's actually one of the most stressful, stinking, difficult times of the year. In fact, little quick insight into my world, uh, Laura, I'm not trying to, well, <laughs> the little guys are like little maniacs. And so Laura said that we're not going to put the Christmas tree or any decorations at all because she's afraid they're going to destroy everything. So I am, I am trying to plot and pick it outside my own house that we must put up the Christmas tree. It's like, it's like that movie, like, put out Frosty. That's, that's me right now. We got to set up the Christmas decorations. Uh, but, you know, like, right? Like, so why is it? Why is it like we imagine this Thomas Kincaid world where Christmas is this beautiful experience and yet most of us, it's like chaos and craziness and like, you know, you're in debt over your, up to your ears and you're like, it's insane. And like you finally get the meal ready and it's burnt and it's just, it's crazy. Why, why? And so I wanna just jump into the Christmas story. Interestingly, the Christmas story doesn't start with Christmas at all. It's actually the story that ties all of the stories throughout history together. In fact, you could go so far as to suggest that all of history points to this one story. And yes, it's in the Bible. But before uh, you check out of me, so if you're a skeptic with us, uh, maybe you don't believe in God and you're, and you're joining us, thank you for joining us. But, but maybe you're wrestling with this and the moment I say the Bible, you're kind of like ready to check out on me. So just stay with me for a moment. Uh, or maybe when you hear the word Bible, the, the name of the Bible, uh, the Christian Bible, you just immediately think, well, that's a book full of rules. And yes, it does have a lot of rules in it, but it's not mostly about rules. Others of you, you've, you've heard heard of the Bible, read the Bible, and you thought the Bible was mostly about you. And so everything you read, you just kind of like, oh yeah, that's for me. That's good. Uh, and, but, and there are things that definitely relate to you and me in the Bible, but the Bible isn't really about us centrally. Interestingly, the Bible, which is actually 66 different writings, all compiled into one book, uh, written by over 40 different authors over a span of over about 1,500 years, um, it really actually, interestingly, has about four books, four writings that are uh, written from a nearly eyewitness account of people that actually spent time with Jesus and or interviewed people who were spending a lot of time with Jesus. One of them is called uh, The Good News from the eyewitness perspective of a guy named Luke. Now, he didn't actually know Jesus. In fact, interestingly, Luke was very much an outsider. Uh, he, he was a Rome, uh, I mean, he was a, um, you could say he was a Roman, but he was basically a pagan guy who he, he just followed along with culture. He didn't know anything about Judaism. He didn't really know anything about Christianity. And he meets these people who passionately love Jesus. They believe that Jesus really was a man who was actually God. And so Luke, who is this, you know, really sharp, well-respected physician, who's also highly educated, uh, takes a risk and begins to investigate the story of Jesus. And he becomes persuaded through his investigation that Jesus is who he said he was. And so he sits out and he writes an account of the life and teachings of Jesus from the interviews and the investigation he had done. And his conclusion is that Jesus really is God. And then, and, he, and one of his goals in writing the good news, the gospel of Luke, which is included in the Bible, was that 
because he was an outsider to Judaism and Christianity, he thought that there would be a lot of other outsiders that would have a hard time with this message. And so he wanted to write it in order to persuade them to at least listen in on this story. Christmas story, but really the story that ties all stories together. And so when he writes the story of Jesus, uh, in Luke chapter three, he includes, uh, it's kind of odd, but he includes like the genealogy of Jesus, which is what you get when you go on like on ancestry.com. And clearly this is a thing. A lot of people want to trace their roots. Kind of like, who, who, what's my backstory? And Luke writes it for a very similar reason. He's trying to give the backstory of Jesus. He's trying to trace the roots of Jesus. And his point is to prove that this guy that is God is also really a man. And so when you get into Luke chapter three, uh, he, he writes this, check this out. And he goes like this, I think, here we go. Um, Luke chapter three, and I'm gonna read a couple verses to you. And at first you're gonna be like, "That's what, what's the big deal? Okay, follow me. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son as it was thought of Joseph. Okay, that's where our story's gonna start. And then he goes through like Joseph's father and his father, grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. And he goes all the way, he, he goes through David, he goes through Abraham, like he goes all the way back. And then the, he ends with this one. Uh, he goes like this, the son of Adam, the son of God. Like, so he goes all the way back to the beginning and that's actually his point. Uh, that the story of Jesus traces all the way back to the very beginning of the story. In fact, the beginning of the story only matters because of Jesus. It's like the whole point of Adam even being there is so that eventually Jesus would show up and save the dead. And so let's jump back to the beginning of the story. And that, that's what we're gonna jump in. We're gonna go all the way back. It's captured in another book of the Bible called Genesis, which is the story of the origins, the story of the beginning of how God interacts with man. And so Genesis chapter one, verse 27 and 28, where we read about God creating uh, man, it goes like this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. So let me just pause right here. So right off the bat, God creates uh, Adam and Eve, a male and female, and he gives them identity. He puts his image on them. He gives them value. And then he gives them purpose. He goes, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. I'm giving you responsibility to care for the earth, which is why people to this day have this real struggle with what is our responsibility in how we take care of the world that we live in. It started at the very beginning. He said, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. And, and so he gives them this like significant meaning. And so at the very beginning, God gives them value. God gives them purpose. God gives them paradise. And it even gets, oh, and by the way, he gives them love. And if you really want an inside scoop, he creates for Adam and Eve uh, sexual intercourse. So he gives them a lot of really good gifts at the very beginning. And then it gets even better. For those of you that get tired and worn out when you come home from work, Genesis chapter two, verse three, God agrees. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested 
from all of his work. All of his work. And as a result of his rest, he decides to give everyone rest. And so it, the story goes that God says, every seventh day, I'm gonna give you a break. You can work for six days, but then you gotta take a day off. You have to. It's important. It's necessary. You need a rest. And, and what he gave Adam and Eve in the garden was not just paradise and provision, but he gave them this special sacred rest where he would be present with them. And the point is this, that when you go back to the beginning of the story that points to Jesus, there is this principle, this central principle that kind of jumps out of the very beginning of the story. And it's this, this is what I want to capture your attention. It would be this, that true and full life is only found in God's love. Would you take a moment, just kind of at least make a mental note, and then if you're going to take notes with us in your program, on, on, you know, in the study guide that we give you, uh, which is available on our app, uh, also, uh, you can feel free to take notes on your smartphone or tablet, uh, feel free to use social media, just don't vote for uh, any more Christmas sweaters, but um, what I want you to make a note of is this, true and full life is only found in God's love. So we're gonna spend our life and we do this, right? So we hear this and we're like, I want that. I want a life that's full and where I live and laugh and love, where I can have true rest, but my life has purpose and meaning and yet we don't experience that. Why? Why is it? Because it's only found in God's love. And so how did we get here? Well, that's also in the beginning that it's kind of like the very next step in the story is God creates Adam and Eve. He gives them this, these amazing gifts and then they mess it up. God gives them one rule. And, uh, and you're like, there we go again. The Bible's about rules. All right, well, here's the deal. Some rules are good. Like, you know, don't drive over the yellow line or don't drive over the white line. Uh, you're gonna get in an accident. And so God gives them these boundaries and, and he says in the garden, is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You already have all the good you need. You have life, you have love, you have laughter, you have paradise, you have provision. So the only thing you're gonna get if you eat from this tree is the knowledge of evil and everything that comes with evil. And so he says, don't eat from that. Uh, and, and so he puts a boundary around them to protect the life that he's given them. And, and so here it is, Genesis chapter two, verse 16, where it, where it reads this way. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And, and so Adam, though, he, he's a lot like us. He thinks that God is all about restriction and keeping him from the best and holding him back from the, from the life that he feels like he should enjoy. And he believes that God doesn't want him to be happy, but it's a lie. It's a trick. And this, this, uh, the, the intelligent evil of Satan embodies himself into this cunning looking serpent and deceives and tricks Adam and Eve into eating from the fruit of the knowledge, the, on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the end result is that they eat and what they gain is evil in their life. And so that's, so, but this is this moment, right? And, and if, if that was how the story ends, it's a horrible story. But you and I both know that that's not how the story ends, that's how it begins. In essence, that's the opening act. 
That's the opening scene. That's the, that's the first page in the book. And, and so here's God's response to this intelligent evil that came to destroy the life that God had given Adam and Eve. Here's what God speaks up and says. It's found in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. God says, I am declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He'll, he'll wound your head and your wound is healed. And, and in fact, in, that, in another translation, it says, um, he'll crush your head, but you'll bruise his heel. This is a promise. What the promise is that someday God would become a man. And in becoming a man, his mission would be to allow the venom of the serpent to bite him. But in the end, he would crush the head of the serpent in order to set people free from the evil that had entered into them. See, when Adam blew it, he blew it for all of us. So if you want to know who to blame, just blame Adam, all right? The problem is it's not going to do us any good. We can all kind of kick and scream and yell, but it doesn't get us anywhere, right? But that is how the story begins. But if you hit the fast forward button and you jump to the Christmas story, what you get is that God did not leave us that way. He didn't leave us looking at life bitterly, trapped in death, trapped in suffering, trapped in evil. God intervened in our story. And, and this is the key. This is what I want you to kind of let stick in your mind. Hopefully, as you step into Christmas, even if you're distracted by the Christmas sweaters, look, I, my whole goal in wearing this, well, you guys voted for it, but uh, was that if you look at this, then you're gonna be like, that's right, we're hearing a story. But this isn't just some fairy tale, once upon a time story. This is the story that ties all the stories of history together. In fact, you could suggest that there's like this, this woven thread through all of history, and it all comes together in the Christmas story. And so here, here's what I want you to make a, a note of, right? It's this, true life begins only in God's love. So, so we're gonna live our lives trying to pursue life. What is the point of life? What is the purpose of life? I want life. I wanna live. I wanna live. You didn't get it? Oh man. I'm, I'm in the Christmas mood. Some of you are gonna like, some of you like when this whole thing is done, you're gonna be like, oh, that's what he meant. Uh, sorry. Um, but you can all you want to live. True life only begins in God's love. And Luke writes that Jesus is the son of Joseph and then go all the way back, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Luke connects the dots that Jesus came through Adam for, the pur for this purpose. This is what I wanna get to, right? Like, why? Because God promised Adam and Eve, the beginning, when they blew the whole thing, he said, here's what's gonna happen. This, this horrible sin, and, and that's what biblical authors, that's what Jesus used to describe this instinct that you and I have to believe that God, God's way, God's best are actually meant to rob us of our happiness. That's sin. And that's what Adam and Eve did at the beginning. And you and I are born that way with this instinct because we're children of Adam. We're born with an instinct to disregard God's best, even though God's best, God's way, God's commands are meant to protect us and keep us in his good. 
but we disregard it. And what we gain in the process, rather than gaining good or happiness, is we gain wrecking our life, and we gain suffering, and we gain pain, and we gain death, and worse, we gain eternal death. That's the price tag for disregarding God, living a life of sin. But what God does is he stepped into our world with the express purpose of allowing the full venom of that evil to come into him. He absorbed the full punishment of sin. He absorbed the full penalty of our death sentence on himself. He embraced our eternal judgment so that when Jesus died, he died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is not just forgiven, but given new life. How do you get new life? Well, Jesus didn't just die. He, he wasn't just a man who came and died. He was God who became a man willing to die and died on the cross, but for the purpose of defeating the power of sin and defeating death itself. So when Jesus not only died, but rose again from the dead, he conquered the grip of sin on our lives and he freed us from the power of death and more important than death, he freed us from the, the um, fear of and the consequence of eternal judgment so that when we believe in Jesus by faith, his death and his resurrection, we receive this new life that only begins in knowing God's love as revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. So now that changes everything, right? Now all of a sudden, I'm not trying to live my life so that I can figure out a way to live and laugh and love. I know that when I believe in Jesus by faith, I then experience true love, true life, and true meaning, right? My life begins to make sense and it all is tied into that Christmas story which brings all the stories together, even the very beginning. So now, when I put this idea in my mind, right? Like, so now I have true life found in God's love. There's, a, there's this beautiful piece. Uh, if you go to the end of the Bible, it, it ends with kind of like a vision of how the whole story is gonna end. And it's written by a guy named John who was a dear friend of Jesus. And he has this vision. And in it, he writes about this other tree. And he's saying that what happens is when you believe in Jesus by faith, when you, go in, when, when you enter through death, you really enter into true and eternal life forever. And, he, and he, so he uses this picture. And he writes this in, the, in this book called Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, where he says this. Um, to the one who is victorious, meaning your victory is through faith in Jesus Christ, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. This tree that existed in Eden, that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden to avoid eating from a tree of life where they would live eternally in sin. And so God says, I'll promise you the, the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. And suddenly when we believe in Jesus by faith, we're given the promise of eternal life, of new life in the paradise of God. And that doesn't just start when we die, that begins right now as I begin to live this new kind of life. And so there's a key to this, right? That if, if I can begin to live a true life, then my life should reflect a little bit of what it was like in the Garden of Eden. That's right. And so another note I want you to make is this. True rest begins in God's love. The key here is rest. Now, what you all think is that you can like, oh, 
You, you come home from crazy Christmas shopping or crazy Christmas decorating or crazy whatever, and, um, and, and you can take a rest. And, and God does offer a break, but the key here is not to take a break, but that you can actually in this life experience the rest of God. This, it's an incredible concept. Here's the deal, right? If you're not living your life trying to figure out how you're going to earn life or you're going to make sense of life or you're, you're, you're going to live and work really hard to get ahead and the whole goal of getting ahead is that you're going to define yourself by what you've accomplished or what you've earned or what you've done for others. All of a sudden now, you've discovered that true life is in knowing that God loves me God is for me. He rescued me from the consequence of sin and eternal judgment. Now my life is defined by the fact that God loves me. Jesus Christ died and rose again to give me freedom and new life from sin. All of a sudden I could take a big deep breath and go, wait, I don't have to live this life constantly striving to become something that I'll never become no matter how many degrees I get or now how many hours I work, no matter how big my paycheck or how big my house is. I can now rest in the confidence that God loves me. True rest only begins in God's love. And, and here's what I mean by that, right? Well, actually, let me read this. Uh, another author and the Bible writes it this way. It's found in a letter to the Hebrew people. And he writes this. So there is a special rest. And what he means there is like a sacred God-given rest. Waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors. Just as God did after creating the world. And so he's talking about this idea. And, and so anybody reading it, they would have understood that he was at least referencing this idea of a Sabbath rest. And th the idea there is that God gives anyone who wants it a day off, right? And so many people, we celebrate Sunday and we say, like, that's a Sabbath rest. You, you should have, you, you can work six days and those six days are good and it's good to be productive. But on the seventh day, God rested and he said, it's not just good, it's holy, it's special. And the reason is when we take a day off, we're reminded that it's not about my production, but about becoming who God has designed me to be. And so it's a day to become and, and, and remind myself that I was designed to know and love God, right? And so we're given this day of rest, but the point is that day of rest is a reminder that we are given true rest in God, in God's love. Meaning that even when I'm at work, I am not trying to become, I, I, I'm not trying to be, fulfill my identity, in my work, my, my paycheck doesn't define me. My, the stuff doesn't define me. I can rest knowing that God is looking out for me. God is providing for me. God is caring for me. And he even provides through my work. He even provides through my labor. And so what the author is saying here is you can experience this supernatural sacred rest that, that was given in the garden of Eden at the beginning when you know God's love. When you know that there is a God that is for you and loving you and, and, and has given his life to rescue you from the trap of sin. And, and then there's one more thing that we discover. When we go back to the beginning of the story and we connect the dots to Jesus and it's this, true purpose only begins in God's love. So true life begins in God's love, true rest begins in God's love, and true purpose only begins in God's love. And so, so many of us 
have lived our lives trying to find out how do I become significant? How do I do something significant? How do I create something significant? How do I, how do I achieve something significant? People get excited about all different causes and activities and they throw their life and all in an attempt to, to do something that matters. And what God gives us, <laughs> excuse me, what God gives us when he gives us his love through faith in Jesus is that we then are reunited, we regain, we rediscover that God has put us on earth to love us and to be loved by us. And our purpose that we recapture through knowing and and experiencing God's love is that you and I were designed to worship God. That, That The word worship simply means that God enjoys us. When we live the life we were designed to live, when we are living in his rest, when we're living in his life, then our purpose is to please God. And so now we live our lives to please God in every activity, every day, and in every relationship. And so our responsibility is to do this. God, how can I please you in the way that I am living? How can I please you in my marriage relationship? How can I please you in the way that I spend my money? How can I please you in the way I serve others? And my goal in serving others is to serve you. How can I please you by loving others? But my goal is to love you, God. And so we live our lives to please God. And this becomes our life purpose. And now when I know that my goal is to live my life to please God, I begin to look at every opportunity, every relationship, every commute, every uh, dollar that I spend as a way to express the purpose of God that he has given me and he has restored to me when I discovered his love through faith in Jesus Christ. So now I want to challenge you. Look, you Maybe for some, you're, you're struggling. Maybe for you, Christmas time is not the most, you know, fun time of the year. It's a challenging time. Reminds you of love lost or those that have passed. I want you to know this. Christmas and the Christmas story is what ties all stories together. That there is a God that saw that you and I would disregard him. He created the world perfect. He created man perfect, and then we blew him off. And ever since Adam, we've been blowing God off. But God was an unrelenting God with an unrelenting love who pursued us and loved us when we wanted nothing to do with him. And so he chased you and I down, became one of us with the whole goal of taking our sin, the venom of evil, injected into him so that when he died, he absorbed the punishment, the suffering, the eternal judgment that we deserve so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven. And Jesus rose from the dead so that when we believe in Jesus by faith, we receive new, true life that only exists through God's love. And so I'd like to do is take a moment I just want you to consider how can you, during this Christmas time, embrace that story. Not not some story that you thought you knew, but the true story of God, who has been pursuing us from the very beginning, became one of us in order to give us his love. Would you take a moment right now? I'm just gonna encourage you at each of our campuses, would you just take a moment, would you close your eyes? And if what you need is that gift of life, that gift of rest, 
that gift of purpose. And you would. You're ready right now and you're, you're ready to say, yeah, that's what I need. The great gift that I need during Christmas time is the gift of God's love. And you're ready to receive that by believing in Jesus by faith. If that's where you're at right now, would you just, at each of our campuses and even joining us online, would you just raise your hand right now and say, yeah, that's me. Would you right now, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's where I'm at. I, I need that new and true life through faith in Jesus. I need rest in Jesus. I need purpose in Jesus. Anyone else, each of our campuses, would you just raise your hand high and say, yeah, that's me. For those of you that are raising your hand, I wanna take a moment, I wanna pray with you right now. My prayer for you, my prayer with you is very simple. Just Jesus, we love you. We believe in you. We receive this incredible gift of new life. Would you join me as I pray? Jesus, thank you for loving us. You didn't have to, but you pursued us because the story of, of God isn't about rules. It isn't even really about us at the center. It's about you pursuing us, chasing us down to love us and rescue us from the life that we've wrecked. And so God, right now we receive that new life that is only found in your love. We receive the rest and the purpose of life that is only found in your love. And so God, we, we celebrate that, we receive that, we walk in that as we step into this season of Christmas. Thank you for the gift you've given us. And we say this now in Jesus' amazing, history-making name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.